0: Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the shit show of my 20s. On this episode, I get to interview Chelsea and we get to hear the behind the scenes of what her journey has been like so far from leaving the US and leaving her a six figure corporate job to moving to Australia and how she fell in love with yoga and the benefits that she's experienced so far and then how she went to Bali and got to do her yoga teacher training there and what that experience was like for her. Talk about how she created her podcast and any advice she has for someone who's just starting off their podcast. I hope you guys enjoy listening.
1: I had a microphone, I bought equipment, I knew what I wanted to talk about, and then I just kept stalling, stalling, stalling. So the fact that you're just going and booking guests already is amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, and what was the, what made you decide, you know what, I'm just going to start?
1: I think, ultimately, I broke up with my ex. Oh. and. I think that was a big, like, limiting fear holding me back was like, what's he gonna say? What's he gonna think? Is he gonna judge me? Um, and then I actually ended up starting it. It was funny because towards the end of the relationship, he actually bought me a microphone because he knew I wanted to start one. But mm-hmm. I think I still was like really nervous just about what he was gonna say. And mm-hmm. so then finally I was like, you know what? Like, I'm done. I'm just gonna do it. And then I started one. So I think that was the catalyst. But I had been sitting on the idea for a year, like I knew who I wanted to talk to, I knew what I wanted to say. It was just kind of that one little block holding me back.
0: And was he not like supportive of you? How did you know that like it would be an issue with him?
1: Yeah, I think he he was supportive in the way of like, oh yeah, you should do that. I think that's that's a great idea but I know if I started sharing like very personal opinions or if I started sharing stories of us, or if I started, um, I, I figured if I actually do really well, he would be jealous. And Mm -hmm. that was the part that held me back. Like I know if I do really well and this takes off, I can picture him totally bringing me down being like, why are you doing this? You're just trying to get attention. You're trying to be famous. And that was honestly like the, the issues I had when I was like, yeah, I'm not sure this is going to work out in the long run, but also the reasons I think why I never started one earlier.
0: And how important is it for you to like find someone who supports you? Like how, what, and what tips do you have for like finding that person?
1: Oh my gosh, that is such a great question. I think that's ultimately now something that I look for. And in a way, like looking back on my ex, I have no negative feelings towards him I'm actually so grateful for what that relationship taught me because I don't think if I would have met someone that had you know that had the issues that we had then I wouldn't know what I want so now I'm definitely like wow I see how important it is to find someone that that supports you but not only supports you but like really lets you be you and mm-hmm. I actually heard something really interesting on a podcast called it was the Ed My Let Show I don't know I if you've that heard of. Oh, I'm obsessed. Did you hear the one with Matthew Hussey? He's like a relationship expert. Yeah. And he said something they talked about, like supportive partners, like why isn't my partner supporting me? And he's like, honestly, asking someone to support your dream is one of the most selfish things you can do. And I was like, what? And then I realized what he meant. Like, you're just asking someone that has totally different ideas and passions and creativities and ways of thinking than you do to 100%. Like, take on your dream. And when he framed it that way, that's when I learned oh, okay, I don't need someone to, like, you know, be my podcast promoter and work with me and, like, you know, tell every single person about me. I just need them to understand, like, this is what I'm going to do and let me do it and let me be me with no questions asked. And that's something that I don't think I would have really recognized had I not listened to that podcast. Um, and now to me, yes, it's important again, to have that support, but I'm not going to look for a partner that's like, yeah, I'll share your podcast, my Instagram story and blast it to my coworkers or anything like that. But now it's like, as long as you just like, let me do me, we'll be fine.
0: And I would love to know, have you always been in Australia? Did you just move there?
1: Yeah, I just moved here actually nine months ago. I moved here in August. So I was on the working holiday visa, which is one year mm-hmm. long. And I came here after working in corporate America for about six years. And I've been here for nine months now. And obviously with the coronavirus, things have taken a bit of a turn. But I am staying um, pretty much till the end of my visa, unless, you know, anything changes that I would need to leave sooner. But I'm in actually quite a remote town, which is why I stayed here. It's very isolated. So I'm safer here. But yeah, I was ready to travel and leave corporate America and just do my own thing. Mm -hmm.
0: And what made you decide, like, I'm ready to leave corporate?
1: Yeah, I was in a job where I was in sales. So I was selling influencer and content marketing, which is actually a really fun sales job. You basically get to be on social media all day. You're looking at all the different social media platforms. You're pitching ideas. You're being creative, which are all the things that I went to school for. I got my... um, I got my what's it called bachelor's in broadcast journalism. And then I got my master's in digital media and storytelling, which is a real degree. I think everyone thinks it's like made up. (laughs) It is real. It's from Loyola, Chicago. And so when I fell into my job, I was like, wow, this actually really is a nice mix of everything that I was, you know, studying. So I excelled really early. And I actually think that was a blessing and a curse. Because my first year in sales I was doing really well and then the next year I was a manager I was 25 managing a team of 4 and I was managing like f- two people that were older than me like 30 and 35 years old and I was 25 and I was the one like holding team meetings I was the one actually like going over goals and doing annual reviews and just a lot of responsibility for someone that had only been in corporate America for 2 years and It was a a lot of not only responsibility, but pressure. And then the other side of that was when I was doing really well, I hit all the success checkpoints, if you will, that you are expected to when you leave college, like, you know, work your way up, get a promotion, become a manager, make six figures, get a bonus. Like I hit all of that by the time I was 26. I was making six figures. I lived in a high rise in Chicago on the lake that I paid for myself. Everything was new. Queen bed, foam mattress, like everything. I had it all. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is really it. Like this is the American dream. This is what they talk about. Like you work, 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 and then you just keep working until you hit this certain level of success and then you've made it. And I just remember thinking, like, is this what it feels like? You think there's going to be a party of some sort or that people are going to be there celebrating with you? Like, yeah, girl, you made six figures. And that's just like not the case. It's a very internal, quiet thing, like very gradual thing that you start realizing like, oh, wait, yeah, this year I did make a lot of money. And wait, I did manage people and I did get this apartment. And I just remember thinking like, this is not fulfilling me at all like at all in the way that I thought it would. I have everything I could want on paper. Like again, if you, if I was telling my story out loud, people are like, this is crazy. Why would you leave if you had such a good quote unquote good life? But I just felt so unfulfilled and it wasn't even the work I was doing. I quite enjoyed the work. It was like the purpose and the why, like I feel like I was not working towards anything impactful and I was like, I want to do something a bit more impactful with my life. And being in ad sales, like everything was advertising, just didn't feel impactful to me. So that was the big shift for me to be like, yeah, I think I'm done with corporate. I want to go do something that's a, not not for another employer, that's not advertising, that's not selling all these brand messages that are not my own. I want to tell like my own stories. So that was definitely the the big reason why I ended up leaving. Mm-hmm.
0: And was it hard for you to give up six figures? Were you like, should I really do this? Or were you like all in, like, this is what I need to do?
1: Yeah, I I had two thoughts. The first was the six-figure thing. I was being pretty reckless with my money. Like, I would spend it on custom facials and trips and just, you know, very materialistic things. So I actually think I... should have learned how to manage my money better. So when I was like making the leap, it wasn't like, oh, I'm giving up six figures because to me, it's not like I ever had that money 100% in the bank, if that makes sense. Like when you make six figures, let's just use $100,000 as the example. It's not like I actually had $100,000 in my Chase bank sitting there. It was like gradually over 12 months, you make $100,000. So when the money was in my account, and you're spending it on Chicago rent and you know living alone and going out every weekend and drinking and blah, blah, blah. I was just blowing my money. So when I made the leap, like, quote, unquote, losing that money wasn't really a thought. It was more so, okay, how am I going to keep up that lifestyle? Um, but I think I knew if I really, really do what I'm supposed to and stay in alignment, I will make that money back, if not like tenfold, because I'll be doing something that I'm aligned with. And people will start valuing that over me just doing something that is a job that I get a paycheck at every two weeks. Um, so that was the thought process was, okay, you're leaving a really cushy job, but the payoff is going to be, you're going to be so much more fulfilled and so much happier. And eventually I know that will pay off.
0: What'd you do after you left?
1: After I left, I... Was let's see. I made the decision. I made the decision in like mid 2018 to leave, and then I actually got my visa in August 2018. And you have a year to activate it, so I waited an entire year. So I worked that whole year and saved. Um, there were a lot of weddings and stuff in between it, so it was hard to save. But I just tried to save as much money as I could. And then in August 2019, I officially left to come to Australia. And the interesting thing about this visa is you can only be here for six, or you can be here for 12 months, and you can only work for an employer for six out of those 12 months, like one at a time. So if I found a job I loved, I couldn't just stay for 12 months, you can only stay for up to six months. So because of that, it's a lot of uh, hospitality jobs, they don't want to train, you know, people to be salespeople that they know they could only keep on for six months. So that's a lot of what people that come on this visa do is tourism or hospitality jobs. So immediately I traveled for a month. Then I went to Bali and got my yoga teacher training. And then when I came back, I was like, okay, I need to get a job. So I actually worked at a gelato shop. That was my first job here. And Australia's minimum wage is very high. So I was making I think like $24 an hour at the gelato shop. And then eventually I was making $27 an hour. So it was pretty crazy. Because here I am scooping gelato when I have a master's degree, but somehow still making enough to live in a beach apartment in Sydney. So it was just interesting to to make that connection. But then I I actually was having like issues with the gelato job because of all the scooping (laughs) your shoulder starts hurting so much when you do that much scooping. And I was right in Bondi beach, one of the most popular beaches in Sydney. So I started looking for jobs that were a little more aligned with my background So I started doing marketing for a yoga studio on Bondi Beach. I was handling their influencer stuff, which is funny because that's what I was doing in America. And then I also got a social media job at a music agency. So I was doing all the social media for the music festivals that this agency ran. And so I, at one point, had three jobs in Sydney. It was quite a bit of work, but I was doing a lot of them part-time or casually. But that's what was taking up my time was basically – Making money to travel and live and invest in the resources that I needed to start my own businesses, which were my yoga business and my podcast. So to me, it was like that wasn't, those jobs weren't my career paths. Like those were just means to an end. You know what I mean? Like I have to pay rent. I need to keep my lights on. I need food. So it's not like when I took the gelato job, I was like, oh, I want to be the owner of a franchise of a gelato shop. Or when I took the social media job, that I was like, wow, I really want to be the director of social media here for five years. It was more like, these are things that will pay well, that I can pay my bills, and then I can do things for my own businesses that I want to.
0: And what is it like living in Australia versus when you lived in the U.S.?
1: It is much more laid back here. I have noticed that. That was the number one thing I've noticed just from not only a corporate perspective, but even like personal life. People are very go with the flow, very like laissez-faire, very lackadaisical about a lot of things. And at first when I got here, I perceived a lot of that as laziness, which was definitely an American judgmental thing to come in with. I think coming from corporate America and a job that was a desk job and we we were a younger company we we've only been around for at that point like less than 15 years it was we started in like 2006 but we didn't really have a full blown team that was like in you know all over the US and international for a while so we kind of acted like a startup and because of that i definitely took on the mentality of what a lot of Americans take on. It was like, you get in the office early. You don't take your lunch break. If you do, you eat at your desk and you stay late and you stay up no matter what to get things done. And you work on the weekends. And I realized after a few years of that, I was like, this is not feasible. Like I'm going to burn out. And so eventually I did start putting my foot down. Like I'm taking my full lunch break, for the full hour I am leaving at this time I am getting in at the time I'm I'm slated to come in I'm not going to do all these weird you know get here early leave late unsaid rules to look better and that helped me a lot with like my own mental clarity but when I got to Australia it was hard for me to turn that off so I remember actually so specifically at the social media gig at the music agency they were like hey you want to go out for lunch on your first day and I was like yeah oh my gosh I'm so excited we go get lunch and they're like, so, um, you know, we're just sitting there talking. So how, where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. And then I realized it had been an hour and I was like, oh my gosh, great. Right, it's, we got to go back now. Right. It's been an hour. And they're like, what, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, it's been an hour. Our lunch break is up. Like, we got to get back to the office. And they're like, Whoa, we've like never looked at the time before to see if it's actually been an hour. And I was like, what? I am so used to looking at my clock, seeing at the exact time I left my job and coming back at the exact hour later. And they're like, I mean, yeah, generally, like technically speaking, we have an hour for lunch, but we don't actually like measure it and we don't get in trouble and we're not going to like you know, get you in trouble or punish you if you say 15, 30 minutes after your lunch break. And I was like, mind blown. I was like, wait, you're not going to track me down and make sure that I'm not in the office. And they're like, they were just so confused. You could tell they had never talked to anybody that had this mindset before. Like this was a conversation that had never been had. And that was one thing I immediately noticed was like, it's kind of like, get your work done you know, do what you need to do. Don't take advantage of it, but we trust that you're working. And so that was something really interesting because I would go to the beach in the morning and I would go swimming and I would come in. Sometimes I would get in at 1045. Sometimes I would get in at 10. Oh yeah. By the way, they start at 10. They don't start at like eight or nine, like America. Yeah. This is, this is specifically to that industry I was in but that was very interesting. So I would wake up in the morning, I would literally go swimming in the water at Bondi Beach, get a coffee, chill out, do yoga, then take the train to the city to get my to get to my job. Sometimes I would get in at 10, 10:30, 1045. And I remember the first few times I was checking my phone like, I'm going to get in so much trouble. I'm going to have a missed call from my boss and then the operations guy and then this other girl and they're going to pull me aside. And I was just freaking out. And it was just like, hey, good morning. How are you? I'm like, this is so wild. Like no one cares. And then the dress code was chill. I would come in in like jeans, top, wet hair. Like it was just so relaxed. And then same thing with leaving early. Like, oh, if I needed to leave, 30 minutes early to get to an appointment, it was kind of like, "Yep, we like trust that you're leaving because you have to, you know? And so that actually transferred over to the yoga job too. I remember we could leave around four to go do yoga. And I was like, oh, okay. But then we have to come back to the office, right? In our sweaty clothes, that's going to be awkward. And they're like, what? I'm like, well, if we leave at four, wouldn't we have to come back until like five thirty or six and make up that time? And they're like, no, like you would just go home after that. And I'm like, these are concepts I've never heard about. Like you do not leave early. You do not take long lunch breaks. You don't come in later. And I think that was something I noticed is they don't work to live here. Like, what is that phrase? Maybe I'm saying it backwards, live to work, work to live basically Americans are doing opposite where we like work, 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 work as much as we possibly can so that we can live when we retire or like live on the weekends where they're the opposite. They're like, yep, you know what? Today's a beautiful Tuesday. The sunset is gorgeous. We're going to call it early and close the office. No big deal. And that's how it is. And that's something that I really appreciate here is that they do value like their daily rituals and the environment and nature. Whereas I felt like specifically in my industry in America, it wasn't like that. And this isn't just like a one-off thing now. Like I've seen it in all the industries that I've worked in here. And so that's, I would say one of the biggest differences is just being laid back and like enjoying truly their environment and, and knowing that their paychecks are, they're getting paychecks just to like live. You know what I mean? They're not like, let's make more money. Let's stay later. Let's see who can stay longest at the office. Like I did not get that any of my gigs?
0: And how many hours would you typically work for your job over there?
1: Oh, this is such a, such a funny question because that was another interesting thing. A lot of uh, gigs are part time or casual, and so when I got this influencer marketing gig at the yoga studio, I was like, okay, so it's either gonna be you know twenty hours or thirty hours. It's not gonna be full time, but part time would be twenty or thirty hours. I was working. One day a week, literally one day. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I'm the person that's supposed to be handling all the influencer marketing, which is a job that I used to do full time. And this is for a yoga studio that actually was quite large in Australia. Like they had six different studios all around the nation. They did Bali retreats, they did New Zealand retreats. Like they were a large studio. And so I was so confused by that concept. I was like, but there's another person running this. Team, right? Like, there's no, and they're like, nope, you're the one in charge. I'm like, this makes no sense. I'm the only one in charge of this whole department for one day a week. And they're like, yep. And so that was really interesting. So I only worked one day a week at the yoga studio. And then I actually, at some point, ended up only working there for half a day because of the commute. It was an hour and a half away and it was starting to get too far with all my other jobs. So we agreed I could work remote for four hours a day. So that is how much I worked for um the yoga studio was 4 hours a week then the social media job once again that is a full-time job usually in america if it's part-time it's because it's a smaller company this one was part-time and i was working only 3 days a week like monday tuesday thursday and then the gelato gig it was kind of like whenever i needed to work when i first started working there it was it was my full-time job i was there like 30 or 40 hours a week but then slowly when i got the other jobs i was there probably 10 to 15 hours just to have some extra cash. But yeah, that was another very interesting takeaway is everyone's like, I don't get it. You have three full-time jobs. I'm like, Nope. I work one for four hours a week. I work one 12 hours a week. I work another one like 25 hours a week, very up in the air. And then I noticed that was very common. A lot of people were like, yeah, I only work part-time or we work casually, which is basically like temporary or contract jobs. So yeah, I would say in total, if you add all the jobs up, it was like working full-time hours. It was just all in different environments.
0: And how did you get into yoga?
1: I got into yoga in 2013, I would say. My friend was just obsessed with hot yoga in this certain studio and she went all the time. And one day she was just like, you should come with me and see if you like it. I think they have like a free class. I was like, okay, Sure. Ended up going and I was, it was hot yoga and like the hot, hot one where it's actually like 95 plus degrees, if not hotter, it might've even been like 102 degrees. And I remember being like, what is this place? (laughs) Like, why would you voluntarily go into a heated room and do exercise with your own body weight and try and hold yourself in crazy poses? But there was something weirdly addicting about it because I was like wait I feel like I'm getting deeper into stretches I feel like I am stretching parts of my body I didn't even know I had muscles there it just made me really in tune with my body so I think I signed up for maybe like a five class pack and there was a really lovely teacher there that at the end of the class would give us these ice cold lavender towels like I'll never forget this and this is like seven years ago (laughs) but she would give us is drenched ice cold towels, lavender infused, and then just place them on top of our foreheads at the end of class. And it was like the best feeling ever to do a 60 to 90 minute hot yoga class and then just have this towel with her voice and her words and her powerful message at the end. And I became so into it that when I moved to Chicago, so I'm actually originally from Florida, I moved to Chicago for grad school, and then I found my job there. So when I was in grad school there, grad school was only at night. It was like 7 to 10 p.m. And I remember thinking, well, what am I going to do during the day? I have all this free time on my hands. That's eventually how I found my job. I found a full-time job to fill that time. But for the first probably two months of me living in Chicago, I was doing absolutely nothing during the day. So I was like, you know what? Let me sign up for yoga. I really liked it in that class that my friend took me to. Let me see if there's something similar and there was core power which i'm sure a lot of people know about it's one of the more like popular studios in america but core power was right next to my apartment like not even a block away and i started going there all the time got really good like i i don't like saying really good cuz then i feel like that insinuates you can be really bad at yoga but i guess what i mean to say is really strong like i had seen my body change not only physically but like the way i was in tune with it i feel like i never used to be in tune with my body i was kind of like oh whatever that that always happens like yeah everyone burps after they eat everyone feels shoulder pain everyone has issues with their feet and then i started realizing through yoga i was like it's not really the case and i got so into it that I actually was approached to do teacher training there because I was going so much. Like all the teachers knew my name. I actually ended up doing one of my grad school projects at Core Power, and I was a regular and it was just, it was addicting. But then I fell off because of my full-time job. So I completely stopped going for quite a while because it was really hard to work basically nine to six and then go grad school seven to 10 majority of the week. And then on the weekends, I was doing all my grad school homework. So I fell off. And then I would say I got back into it probably four years ago through ClassPass. I don't know if anyone's used ClassPass. I loved it. It's hard to use right now. I mean, you can actually do live streaming, but you can book different studios all over based on where you are. So you don't have to like commit to one studio. So I really liked that because then I could start trying out different yoga studios. So I really got back into it through ClassPass. But I found out this time around, I was much more into yin yoga, which is really restorative. You Basically, my friends make fun of me. They call it like my nap class because you, you pretty much just stretch and breathe the whole time. And you don't do any downward dogs. There's no flowing. There's no chaturangas. There's none of that. It's straight up stretching with props. And that is what I got really into in the last few years, especially working desk jobs. I was like, I need a restorative class. So that is when I got into yin yoga. So yeah, I got into it in 2013, but it's been like a very on and off journey and very different styles throughout all those years.
0: What are the benefits you noticed from doing yoga?
1: Oh, so many. I would say the first is slowing down. I'm very much a person that I talk fast. I think fast. I'm impulsive. I go, go, go. I would wait. I never had a morning routine. Like I would just wake up, throw my clothes on, run out the door, run to lunch, run to my workout class, run home. And that was my life for a very long time. And yoga was the one hour that whether I liked it or not, I had to slow down. And I remember there were classes where I was like, God, this is so boring. This is so slow. Like, can we just wrap it up? I just, how is this 60 minutes going this slow? And Eventually, I started to realize this is exactly why you need yoga, like you never take 60 minutes to yourself to just be with your own thoughts and actually pay attention to your body. And I think what I liked so much about yoga too, is that it really is just the mat. And that's it. Like you don't need any crazy equipment, you don't need a gym, you don't need anything except a mat. And if you don't have a mat, you can use a towel. Like there really is so many different ways to do yoga. But when I realized, okay, I need to slow down, it actually made me realize thoughts that I didn't even know I had. So I would say the benefits are that inner awareness and like really connecting with your intuition. And then also just the physical ones. Like I told you, when I really was getting into yoga, like going pretty much five days a week to core power, I was balancing on my hands. I could do headstands. Like these are all things that I just assumed after a certain age, like after you're 12 and you're done with all your gymnastics classes that you just like don't have those capabilities anymore. And yoga taught me the opposite. It's like, no, with consistency, practicing, focusing, like you can really get into that. It's funny now because I actually can't do a lot of that stuff. I just fell off for so long. Like I really don't have any of those moves anymore, but the benefits are still the same. Like connecting to my intuition using my body in different ways that I didn't even realize. And really just like focusing on my thoughts because it's really hard to drift off in yoga when you're trying to like balance on one foot or, you know, hold your body to the side with a plank. Like it's hard to just completely drift off. You have to be paying attention. And I think that's what my favorite part was, was like, yeah, you need to focus and, and slow down and pay attention to your breath because I've never did that before.
0: What was the yoga teacher training like
1: in Bali? Ooh, it was intense, but not as intense as you would think physically. So I think everyone thought, okay, so first off, it's a month. And my mind when I read a month is, okay, so we're doing yoga all day, every day. And I'm going to be upside down doing handstands, levitating in a pretzel. (laughs) Like there's no way that I'm leaving this training without being able to do a handstand. And that was actually a funny admission, I guess I could call it, is that I was going into it a lot for the reasons of like, this is right when I had quit my corporate job. So it was like, okay, let me look forward to something that I can achieve, you know, like have a goal. But then I was also kind of going into it a bit selfish in terms of like my own body. Like, oh, I just want to be able to do a handstand when I leave. What was interesting is that you only do yoga, I think, two hours of the day every day. So you wake up, I'll tell you the whole schedule, you wake up at six in the morning, from six to seven, you do some type of meditation or breath work, and we learned all different kinds, which is really cool, because I thought there were only like two kinds, and we learned something every day. So you do that from six to seven, then seven to nine, you had a yoga practice, and I specifically went to training for three different styles of yoga, which were hatha, vinyasa, and ashtanga, But if you're doing a training and you already know which type of yoga you like, you can just go for a specific style. For me, I really didn't know which one I wanted to teach. So that's why I picked a multi-style program. But there are ones that you can just go for like vinyasa or hatha, etc. So each week, that seven to nine period was focused on one of those styles. Then you get like a two-hour break for breakfast. Then you do some type of like history lesson or philosophy Then you do anatomy, then you go into workshops for anatomy, like basically learning poses to show what body parts you just learned about. And then you get a break, and then there's some type of evening class, which is usually some slower flow or like mindset exercise or sharing circle or something. And then it was like some type of you know spiritual, I don't know what to call it, connection time. And then you would have the rest of the night off. It was six days a week for, I want to say almost some, mm, I guess it was 25 days. So it was almost a month, but it was six days a week, one day off. And again, to me, it actually wasn't the physical part that was hard at all. Like I'm not, I'm really not that athletic or in shape. And I thought that would be the hardest part for me. And I could manage that. I only sat out two classes. One was because I really hurt my shoulder in the middle of a class and the other one I was so tired I like could not keep up and it was one of our harder weeks where you just like it was vinyasa I think and it was very hard to keep up but yeah physically it was not hard I would say mentally it was like sitting through these two hour history classes sitting through these anatomy classes and I mean, everything just starts to sound the same, and you're sitting on these like little pillows and just learning and learning. I learned more in three weeks than I did my entire like life about anatomy. So sitting there trying to obtain and soak in all this information, while also trying to learn how you are as a teacher, you know what I mean? Like you're not there just learning and then see you. Uh, you also have to teach, so you're learning how to be a teacher. So then there's that weird pressure of like, wait a second, after I learn all this, I need to know how to apply it, comfortably speak about it, make sure I'm actually aligning people the way that they're supposed to be aligned. And confidently speaking and making it creative and still being myself, like there was that whole element too. So physically not hard, mentally very hard. And then the act of teaching itself is like a whole different ballgame. So it was a very like eye-opening experience and something I think a lot of people just thought, oh, we'll go do a ton of yoga, learn some ways to teach and leave. And I think a lot of people left with such like a transformational experience. So I'm stoked I did it. But it was definitely not for like anyone that cannot mentally prepare for that much learning and that much just like condensed information in such a short period of time.
0: And can you talk a little bit about breath work and what it is?
1: Yeah, breath work is basically, I would say, breathing exercises. So you can do box breath, you can do different things. Box breath would be like you inhale for four counts, you hold it for four counts, you exhale for eight counts, you hold it for four counts, and you repeat. So that would be an example of one type of breath work. Then there's others where you work on like very deep inhales and very deep exhales then there's ones where you work on yogic breath, which is where you're expanding your chest and then your sternum and then your stomach and then exhaling back in that same pattern. So it's, breath is basically trying to teach you not only to pay attention to your breath, but to see how little lung capacity we use. I learned in yoga training, we we use only like, I want to say the stat was like 10 to 20% of our lung capacity. And I was like, how is that possible? And then when we started doing breath work, I was like, oh, my God, I get it. Like, I've never felt my lungs expanded like this. I didn't even know I could hold my breath this long. I didn't even realize you could breathe that deeply. But we would work on it for so long that you do start to realize, wow, yeah, my capacity is not used. So breath work just makes you more aware of all the capacity you have and different ways and methods to activate that.
0: What... What benefits have you noticed from doing breath work and like how often should you do it?
1: Oh my gosh, so many. I would say, first of all, I would say I don't really practice all the different types. I would say my biggest ones are like three deep breaths in and three deep breaths out. Like that is my go-to and box breathing. I love box breathing, which is the one where you inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for like four, six or eight, and then hold for four. Because what I've learned is humans, especially, we have such monkey brains that we can't just like sit there, we need to be doing about something, we need to be doing something or thinking about something or counting something. So I feel like box breath is one of those things that it gives your brain like bananas to count. That's what my teacher said. Like our monkey brain, you give it bananas to count, you do the inhale for four. So then your mind actually is focused on breathing and your own thoughts versus like, oh, I wonder how many emails I have to send today or I wonder if that person texted me back. Like that's usually what I would think about if I tried to do breath work on my own or now I realize box breathing gives me something to count. So I would say if you can do it, Every day you should. And I am such a big believer now of like minimal effort can change your day. I used to think I used to be someone that would work out 60, 90, if not two hour classes a day and very intense classes, very high impact and make little, little time for breathwork or meditation. And now I'm almost the opposite. Not in terms of like, oh, I meditate for an hour and I write for an hour or anything. But I realize like there is no point in doing all those hard workout classes if your mindset is not right. So for me now, breath work is an everyday thing, but I am mostly doing it for five minutes and that's it. If anything, I might even do it less. I'm not someone that sits here and says you have to do 30 minutes, 60 minutes, morning and night. Like to me, it's whatever works for you. I find it best in the morning because then it sets the tone for my day, but then sometimes I get nighttime anxiety and so I like to do it at night too. So my, yeah, I would say for me specifically, I like to do it every day, but I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. And I will say whenever I get anxious, I do try to do three deep breaths, like fully in and then fully out, like exactly like that, really dramatic. And I'm not kidding Every single time I feel, like, less anxious. And it's, like, when I feel it coming on or you feel a tense situation or you feel like you're, you're about to get confrontational with someone or something, it's like, Chelsea, take these three deep breaths and see what happens. And I do it just to, like, test it out. And every single time I feel better.
0: And how did you get the idea behind your podcast? And how would you come up with the title?
1: I, so, yeah, I idea behind my podcast was what wasn't originally there was a big time when I was in Chicago that I was very, very into everything health and wellness, and I was listening to a lot of podcasts about that. So, originally, it was like, let me do that in a similar fashion, but focus on Chicago health and wellness practitioners. So, if you actually go back to the first, I would say, even like 20 episodes of my podcast, there are podcasts from chiropractors, from colonic practitioners. One second, the time. Yeah, so I got the idea from listening to so many podcasts throughout the years that were focused on health and wellness. And I started to realize a lot of the actions I was taking in my own personal health and wellness journeys were because I had found them on podcasts. So I was living in Chicago and I was like, wait, I can do the same thing, but focus on Chicago businesses. So if you go back to probably the first 10 or 15 episodes of my podcast, it was all basically Chicago health and wellness practitioners, like chiropractors, meditation teachers, Reiki teachers, uh, tarot card readers, like very specific to the health, wellness, spirituality space. And it was actually called Oh My Pod. So I got the name. This is actually a funny story. Now I'm thinking about it. I was scrolling through the podcast charts. And I was looking at the names that were in the top 100. And I was like, what is catching my eye here? And it was very simple, like three letter names or three letter words, three letter words, like three word titles, things like that. And so then I remember seeing pod save America. I'm sure people have probably seen that on the top charts. So I was like, wait, pod was obviously replacing God. So then I started thinking of, well, what else could replace pod and i just started like going in my head and i was like oh well if god is the word then like what about oh my god oh my pod so that's what my podcast was originally called was oh my pod because i wanted it to be information that you would be like oh my god i've never heard of that before but just like oh my pod and i thought it was like a nice little double entendre because to me it was like my own little pod it was just like oh my pod so i actually loved the name and then i realized probably eight months into having the name that another podcast had the same name. I I knew this podcast existed, but when I really dove into it, I was like, oh, wow, they post every single week and they've been posting every single week for years. So they weren't really showing up in search results on like Google. But if you were to go on the podcast app or like Spotify or anything, you would find them. And then I realized I owned two of the handles, like I think maybe the Twitter handle and the website, but then they owned like the YouTube and the Instagram handle. So I eventually was like, this is going to get way too confusing. And I already know people that aren't tech savvy are not going to figure this out. Like they're just going to be like, oh, I see two on my pods. So I don't know which one do I click? And I was like, Chelsea, you need to rename this. You need to just rebrand it. So, I decided to do that last, I want to say May, so May 2019. And I thought I could do it alone. And this is probably like a huge piece of advice I have for a lot of people. Once you can start affording to outsource, you should. I cannot express how hard it is to do everything alone like setting up the interviews, editing, promoting, emailing guests, booking them, scheduling, continuing promoting keeping your podcast fresh, writing articles like it is so much freaking work. And so I knew when I did the rebrand that I should hire someone. So I posted on my Instagram stories asking if anyone knew someone that could help me out. And funny enough, there was someone in my town that I was in Florida, I had moved back from Chicago to Florida to save money for Australia. And someone was in my town. And I was expecting to work with someone virtually. And I don't know why. I was just thinking, oh, I'll work with someone in LA or New York. And this person's like, no, you should use my friend. She's exactly in your town. She's super cool. And then I ended up meeting her. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is perfect. Like, she was so smart. We sat down for hours talking about what my brand was going to be. And that's when I realized the power of like a brand and a brand message. Because to me, I was like, oh, I just want a cute name and cute logos and, you know, a fun font and icon and call it a day. And she was like, no, we need to figure out like why you're doing this. Who are you serving? Who is this message for? What are your values? Why do you believe in this? What does this podcast stand for? I was like, oh, wow, I'm glad I hired you because I never thought about any of that. And so she was super helpful in in helping me refine what the message was and what I was doing because at this point too, the podcast had kind of become like a hodgepodge of topics. It was a mix of health and wellness and then personal stories and then interviewing like really high profile bloggers and guests and then interviewing my mom. It was just kind of everywhere and all over the place. So she was like, yeah, let's focus it down a little bit. Like you could still keep it in the health wellness sector but you can maybe broaden it to be specifically to something. Um, maybe you focus on like health and wellness with spirituality or this and that. So we started to get crafty and think of what I could do, but I could not come up with a name. So I sat down with my mom at lunch and I was like, I really don't know how to come up with a name. Like, I don't, I, I, this was like, I think the issue for me was because I still wanted to talk about traveling, lifestyle. Business and manifestation, and I was like, "Well, what what name would possibly fit all those things?" You know, like I wanted it to be like passport to something, but then passport to something would insinuate that would it would only be travel, which was not the case. And then I wanted it to be something along lines like with the word business in it, but I was like, "But it's actually not a business podcast, so I shouldn't call it that either." So I was struggling so much, and I was like, "God, I just have so many opinions and." And it's such a mix of like expert opinions. But then I have my own opinions. And I don't and my mom's like, why don't you call it like my non expert opinion? Like, you know, how people say, well, in my personal opinion, or in my expert opinion, and it kind of just clicked. It was like at lunch one day, and we were just talking about it. And I was like, wait, I actually like that. Like, it is a nice play on words. It's in my non expert opinion. So it's showing, yeah, I have a lot of opinions. And they're not experts, but then I can balance that with expert interviews when I do want to interview those people. And it still covers everything. It could be my expert, opi- non expert opinion about traveling or entrepreneurship or business. And I'm not tied down to one thing, but it gives listeners a glimpse of like, okay, this is not going to be, you know, a Tim Ferriss podcast where I'm only interviewing the experts of every field. It's going to be a mix of that. So that is where the name and idea eventually played out.
0: And what advice do you have for people who are like just starting their podcast?
1: Just starting their podcast would definitely be to launch and adjust. And I am telling you that from firsthand experience. I sat on my ass for a year. I had the equipment. I had the idea. I had watched every YouTube video. I Googled everything in the book. And for me, I feel like that was just a way for me to keep stalling. Because if I got real with myself, I was like, Chelsea, you know what you want to talk about, you already have like 10 guest ideas. And I just was waiting and waiting and waiting. And I wanted everything to be perfect. I want If I hired an editor, I wanted to get like the best in the industry. If I was going to get a microphone, I wanted to get the ones that networks use. If I was hiring a videographer, I wanted to hire the best. And I basically acted like I had to have that before I launched. And I learned no, you launch and adjust because usually what you start out with is not what going to be what you end up with or even keep tweaking. So what, like I said, I started my podcast as almost like a Chicago health and wellness highlight reel. And then now it's something totally different, but I would have never known that had I not launched. So my biggest advice is launch and then tweak it because if you sit there all day, like I did for a year then that's a year's worth of information and feedback that I could have been collecting and tweaked it then. But now in my eyes, I'm like, okay, I don't like to say I'm behind, but I am basically paying for that year that I didn't launch. I could have used all the insights I have now and started a year earlier and been ahead. So I would just say stop waiting, launch and adjust because the longer you wait, you're going to wish you collected all those insights before.
0: And what tips do you have for like growing your podcast? Do you think you have to have a big following to grow a podcast?
1: Not at all. I have booked some of the biggest people in like the blogosphere. I've had people on with 1 million followers. I've had, I just had on someone last week that's a verified person with 300,000 followers. She's verified on Instagram. She's like very well known. And I don't have my podcast Instagram. I started I want to say three months ago. My website I didn't have until this past summer. My new name I didn't even have until June, I think, of 20 or 2019. So barely a year. And I've been able to book these people because what I realized is people love talking about themselves. So you do not have to have a big following. You do not need to have a website. You don't need to have the fancy equipment. I record a lot of my podcasts on voice memo app which surprises a lot of people because they don't, they they can't tell. And I figured that out early. I like tried it one time and then I posted it and people were like, Oh my God, I love your setup. What are you using? I was like literally voice memo app on my iPhone in a quiet room. So that is something that I strongly believe. Again, you do not have to have a strong following or high following. You do not have to have the biggest numbers in the book. You don't even have to have a website or fancy equipment. You can just start and in terms of growing, I would say the biggest things that have helped me are probably probably three things. The first is Facebook groups. I think that's even how we met. Facebook yeah. groups, I'm learning, are like the way of the future, and maybe you agree, but they are like the one thing I sign on for Facebook now. I don't go on Facebook anymore except to read the groups because – they're little communities of like minded people. So instead of scrolling on Instagram, where you follow a fashion influencer, and a hot guy, and your ex and your coworker and your mom, like all these people popping up in your feed. To me, Facebook groups are like, Oh, no, I'm logging on and directly going to the podcast group. And I know everyone there is podcasters. So when I look and scroll through that group, it's going to be questions that are valuable to me and that can help me grow, not a hodgepodge, random you know, scroll of people that I don't need to be seeing. So Facebook groups, because that is how I connect with other podcasters, and that's how I've been able to be a guest on other people's, that's how I'm able to get guests on mine. And I would say that's a big way of growing too, is not only being a guest, but having guests on yours, because you're basically sharing each other's audiences. And again, people love talking about themselves, so they will gladly share a link to show to a show that they talk about themselves for an hour so that helps the podcaster automatically because it's like free promotion of that person's audience but then for the podcaster themselves or the guests themselves it's like them highlighting their services or their story or whatever the case was so guesting and being another guest and then i'm trying to think of the third thing i would say so facebook groups being a guest um just engaging with other podcasters when you can and really owning that you're a podcast host this is something that i did not really have the confidence to say until probably even the last 6 months because i always identified myself as a salesperson from my last job in america and then when i moved here i defined myself as the jobs i had oh i work at a gelato shop i'm a social media manager i do influencer marketing but i never told people i was a podcast host even though that's ultimately what I want to do full time and what I feel like the most fulfilled in. So once I started owning that, it actually became more of a reality to me. And I feel like that's when bigger things started happening. Like I changed my LinkedIn to say podcast host. I put podcast hosts in my Instagram bio. I have podcast hosts now on my email signature. And whether I make an income from it or not, I think owning that as my identity has really helped me grow as a podcaster because I feel like I'm not hiding behind like a veil anymore. Oh, I don't know, this is a little side hobby or I don't know, I just started it's like, no, I'm a podcast host, whether it's, it's true in the terms of like, you know, making an income or not. I think embodying that will help you grow because people are like, Oh, okay, she's a podcast host, like you just start giving off the energy that you really are a strong podcast host. And that helps people not only tell you about your show, but want to be on your show and want to support you and share on their Instagram stories and, and really get that word out there.
0: And how do you usually reach out to guests? Do you like DM people? Do you send emails?
1: Yeah. Funny enough, I would say all my biggest guests I've DM'd, and then they link me to an email. So they're like, yeah, sure. Just email this, this account. Um, so that's been my biggest tip is DMing. The second one is emailing. And a lot of people wonder how you can find emails if they're not in the form of the person's website, uh, like contact page. If you go to Instagram I would say 99.9% of people that are a business or want to be interviewed as a guest have email uh, what's it called buttons on their Instagram profile. So if you have email set up on your profile on your phone and you hit email, it will bring that person's email up and directly to it. It will be like, you know, info at name.com. And then it, directly emails that person. So if you're like, oh, well, it's just like a random box on their website, and I know it's just going to a customer service team, try going to their Instagram and hitting hitting the email button because usually they linked it to an account that is directly to them when they signed up or they didn't realize that it doesn't link to their business account, like their business person. So it will get to that person. And that's honestly how I booked the last probably five major big guests that I've had is using that feature on Instagram.
0: And what's your favorite person that you've interviewed so far?
1: Ooh, I would say Lauren Everts Bostic from The Skinny Confidential. Because I had admired her, I would say her podcast was actually one of the big reasons I started because I followed them from the very beginning. Their podcast sucked in the beginning. It was them, it was her and her husband interrupting each other all the time and they would have guests on and they didn't know how to interview and they were like, speaking on top of each other, just had no interview skills. And they did what I'm telling you to do is launch and adjust. Like they started getting that feedback where people are like, uh, you guys are interrupting each other a lot, your guests, like you don't even let them speak. And slowly, you could tell that they started to realize, okay, we need to take this into account. And now they run a podcast network. Like her husband is the CEO of a podcast network. They have a huge podcast with like 20 million downloads. And to me, that was such a success story to go from like, literally not even knowing how to interview your own sister to owning a podcast network. So being able to have her on my podcast was so meaningful and valuable. And I, she actually gave so many good tips. And then I would say the second person, Lauren was probably my favorite, but the second one, I feel like there was another really, Oh, my mom, that one was one of my favorites because we talked about dating and relationships and my mom, I always tell people is like Gandhi reincarnated because she just like has these downloads of information and she'll just spit it out. And you're like, wait, what? Can you say that again? And she'll just be like, no, I I can't. Like, I, It's like it came out of me as a download and that's all I remember. And I can't even repeat it. So it was really fun to get into it with her and ask her about marriage and relationships and dating and you know, just very specific things that millennials, we struggle with, you know, dating and and marriage and all these different things that go on. And so that was one of my favorites because it was a fun way to connect with my mom. But then she also had really awesome advice that people were DMing me after being like, wow, your mom like really helped me out. So that was definitely a favorite too.
0: And what's your favorite thing that you've manifested?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I would say this life in Australia because for a long time I wanted to live abroad, and for a long time I was like, I want to work for myself. I want to do my own thing. And granted, I'm still not fully working for myself. Again, I I have I want to make that clear to everyone. Like, I didn't quit my corporate American job and then land in a job that I just worked for myself. Like, I'm still picking up side gigs. I'm still making ends meet because. But to me, I'm like, I'm doing that to support just like the basic bills, and I want to be able to eventually invest in in a team so I have to have money to do that but I think that the life here is like what I had wanted for so long was to be able to even have the flexibility to say that I'm a podcast host where before I don't think I had that I was like oh it's a side project it's just a fun hobby and now to me it's like no this really is like what I want to do and so being able to live abroad and podcast host and basically choose how I want to live my life, like very much intentionally and with design, I would say is the best thing that I've manifested.
0: And do you want to come back to the US? Do you want to stay in Australia?
1: I do not want to come back to the US. I definitely wanted to stay in Australia for a second year. The crisis has definitely averted my plans because I can no longer get... Basically, you have to do 90 days of work in a specific area to get a second year visa. And the window has passed for me to do that 90 days because of the virus. So I won't be able to get a second year. And I don't think they're going to do extensions. But New Zealand has the same exact visa. So I think I'm going to try to go to New Zealand. And if not, two of my best friends actually live in Europe, in Denmark and England. And so there's a bunch of different tourist visas that exist in Europe. Like you can go to London for London, you can go to the UK for six months on a tourist visa. So now that's on my mind is like, Hmm, maybe I'll go visit my two best friends in the UK, in the actually the UK and Denmark. So yeah, if I do go back to the U S it's to see family and do like a regroup, recharge, you know i call it like an american tour where i would say hi to everyone on my american tour and then go back out abroad because i definitely like i i think right now because i'm young and i have my health and i have nothing holding me back i'm not married i don't have a dog i don't have a house i don't have a car you know what i mean i don't have any financial ties or responsibility holding me down to a spot so to me it's like i would rather do that now when i have the freedom to do that and my health to do that versus waiting until I'm 60 and have a broken hip and four kids and grandkids and I can't really do anything. Like I don't want to wait. So that is why I'm very much like "Mm," not dying to go back to the States right now.
0: What's your favorite place that you've traveled to?
1: I would say Spain or Croatia. And both are gorgeous. Spain, I lived there for three months when I studied abroad. So that's why it's such a special place to me. But There's just like unspoken romance in the air. And there's just this like magic almost that you just walk around and you feel it. And I love the long dinners. I love the lifestyle. I love the nap times. I loved everything about Spain. And then Croatia was just gorgeous. It was so underrated to me. I feel like I never really heard about it. And then I went there and I was like, how come no one talks about this? Like the beaches are gorgeous. The people are lovely. It's cheap it's nice. It's magical. There's castles, there's beach, there's beach clubs. There's like everything you need. So Spain and Croatia are, are definitely the two of my most favorite places.
0: And how do you like maintain your relationship with like your family while being abroad?
1: Definitely WhatsApp. WhatsApp is an app that almost everyone uses as they live abroad. We have a family group text, so we definitely stay in touch there. But I will say it is really hard because Australia is a whole day ahead, not only a whole day ahead, but basically like totally opposite time zones. So I actually just moved to Western Australia about a month ago, and now I'm 12 hours ahead of my family. I used to be 15 hours ahead of my family. So you had to very intentionally schedule them in. Like, it's not like, oh, hey, give me a ring when you're free. It's like, no, we have to talk at Thursday at 8 p.m. because that's your X amount p.m., you know, whatever the case was. But it was it actually is much harder than I thought it would be. And you if you want to make time for them, it's like you actually have to almost schedule them like a client and put them in your calendar. Otherwise, playing phone tag is going to be your new norm and that was my my life for like six months and I realized you guys we really need to get serious so that's now why we have the whatsapp family group and voice notes I don't know if this is big in America but I don't remember it being in America an American thing at all but using like the voice notes feature everyone does that here so it's actually nice because it's like you're having an abbreviated phone call almost instead of you know, waiting to schedule an hour with your mom or your sister or whoever, you just send them voice notes and then they get back to you. So it's like, you can hear their voice and have a conversation. It's just not all in one go.
0: Are there any places you haven't been to that you really want to visit?
1: Oh my God. Yeah. That's why I wanted to say a second year because I realized I spent so much time in Sydney. I spent six months in Bondi beach and I barely left because a, I was working all those jobs And B, I was just so comfortable there. Like I loved it. There was a gorgeous beach. I had a really good group of friends. We were going out all the time. The sun was shining 24 seven. So to me, I didn't really have any inkling to want to leave. But then when I started like traveling up the coast, I was like, okay, what have I been doing? There's so many places I should have visited, like the Great Barrier Reef, the Daintree Rainforest, Perth, Darwin, like There's so many places now. So, I I actually am definitely going to come back to Australia even when my visa is up. You can do, I think, a 90 day tourist visa. So, I do plan on coming back and seeing all the stuff that I didn't get to see.
0: And what advice do you have for someone who is 20 years old? Like, if you could go back in time and tell anyone, tell any advice to your 20 year old self, what would you tell her?
1: I would tell her not to care what people think. And I know that sounds so cliche, but even now at 29, I realize how much other people's opinions hindered me from doing stuff. And once again, I'm going to reference my mom, but my mom one time told me, she's like, who are all these people you're talking about that hold you back? Because I would be like, oh, I want to start a podcast, but people are going to make fun of me. Or I really want to do this on Instagram, but people are just going to make fun of me. And my mom's like, okay, who are these people? I think you're thinking of one to three people, because I don't think everyone in your life, all your friends, all your family, all your coworkers are not rooting for you. And I was like, yeah, but you don't get it. People will say stuff. And then finally I realized I was like, yeah, she's right. It's either like one person that said something five years ago, or that one ex or that one coworker that was jealous or whatever. And I would let that deter me. And I would say that's actually the reason I held back on not only my podcast, but a lot of things like I didn't end up doing a lot of things after I left college, even traveling abroad, like people being like, Oh, wow, that's irresponsible. Or why would you do that? You need to go get a quote, unquote, real job. And I think that's why I ended up coming to Australia so late, which I know it sounds like, being American and hearing I'm in Australia sounds like really cool because not a lot of Americans do it, but I'm here and I'm telling you, I am not special. Like there are thousands of people that have done this backpacking thing and they're all so young. They're like 18 to 26 years old. And I was like, wow, I wish someone would have told 20 year old me, like, do not care what people think, just do what you want because I think the life I have now, I could have had earlier, which isn't a bad thing. We all learn, you know, in our own ways, but I think it would have just, I would have been, living less of that unfulfilled life had I just stopped caring what people thought.
0: And is there any questions that you wish I would have asked you?
1: Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I think we covered so much. We covered Australia, my yoga journey, how important breathing and yoga is. Um, I don't know. I can't think of anything right now. I feel like we covered so many different parts of my my story. I I really love this interview. Awesome!
0: Thank you so much for doing this.
1: Absolutely, this is so much fun. I feel like I rambled a lot, so hopefully people can make sense of what I was saying. I love rambling. I I call I call podcasting my rambling hobby because people are like, "What do you do?" I'm like, "I have a rambling hobby. It's my podcast."
0: And where can people connect with you?
1: You can find me on Instagram either at Chelsea rife That's my personal one. It's C-H-E-L-S-E-A-R-I-F-F-E. Or my podcast, which is non-expert opinion pod on Instagram. The website is www.inmynonexpertopinion.com. And then the email is hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com. So pretty much everything non-expert opinion you should find. Awesome.
0: Thank you guys for listening to this podcast. If you know someone who might resonate with this story, please share it with them. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.